From Sattva Knowledge Institute, this is Decoding Impact, the podcast where we apply systems thinking in conversation with extraordinary experts to understand what it truly takes to scale solutions in the social sector. Decoding Impact is hosted by Ratish Balakrishnan, a co-founder and managing partner at Sattva. Welcome to today's episode. According to official data, there are 6.3 crore MSMEs in this country. 99% of these MSMEs are micro-enterprises, which typically employ less than 10 people. These MSMEs are creating 11.1 crore jobs, which is only next to the agriculture sector in India. However, the MSMEs in India are plagued by acute shortage and access to formal credit. According to a 2018 IFC report, the total addressable demand for MSME credit is at 36.7 trillion rupees, with a total supply of about 10.9 trillion rupees. There is a potential addressable credit gap of about 25.8 trillion rupees in India today. The answer to this problem of this scale is not going to be more boots on the ground. In this podcast, we will explore how technology solutions, such as the Open Credit Enablement Network, addresses and enables access to credit for MSMEs in India at national scale. We speak about Aukin itself, the engagement with the lenders, the credit products, the distribution engine, and finally, the role of philanthropy in accelerating its adoption. To have this conversation with us, we have Mr. Sushi Mehta. He comes with over 20 years of experience in finance and credit and is currently the chief evangelist of Credol and a volunteer with Icebirth. Rishi, thank you so much for joining us today. Hi everyone, thanks for having me. We've always tried to solve this problem of getting credit to the underserved and MSMEs in India, you know, particularly underserved because of the ticket size, right? Um, it's very easy to serve larger ticket sizes because you can have a lot of manual intervention, but it doesn't become economically viable to do that with the smaller ticket sizes, typically when it's three lakhs and less. So we have to solve that problem with technology. And throughout my career, that's what you know I've been trying to do. And I think uh, Oken finally solves the problem. And so, you know, taking a keen interest in trying to roll that out across the ecosystem and finally, you know, put an end to that problem of getting credit to the MSMEs, especially the ones who are under. So Credol is a non-profit uh, foundation that basically manages the OKEN protocol, uh, which are basically a set of APIs that enable lenders and loan service providers are where, you know, and loan service providers are basically the platforms where the consumers sit and transact. They could be like food delivery apps, they could be, uh, you know, uh, agri-trading platforms, they could be implementations like the government e-marketplace where, you know, or e-commerce platforms where a lot of trade happens. So so what Credol does is manages these APIs and then co-ops the ecosystem and, and at least, you know, the initial role is to evangelize it across the ecosystem and get people to start participating. And what participation means is basically get lenders to adopt the APIs, consume the data that comes from the LSP and the account aggregator, which is another, you know, in, uh, India stack platform to, to enable the transfer of consent-based uh, bank statements and GST data. So, so what we do is we co-opt the lenders to adopt. We we help them, you know, give out the first few loans in term, you know, by framing the credit policy. And on the other end, we also create the first reference app. So we've done Gem Sahai in partnership with the government e-marketplace. And we are currently in the process of testing GST Sahai, which is invoice financing with SIDB. And these are the, like the first reference apps like Beam was to UPI. And... Eventually, uh, you know, we'll also include private market apps. Our role as Credol is also then, once we've co-opted these guys, also to create ecosystem, like, you know, rules of engagement to make sure that it's fair for everyone in the ecosystem. It's not like uh, overbalanced to one side of the player. So we also do that and we have a, we'll eventually have a governing council where we bring the market players on to help frame how the ecosystem will evolve in the future. Got it. I want to unpack a lot of the things that you said, uh, Rishi, but um, before we do that, 
you know, Oaken, is, which is Open Credit Enablement Network, for me is part of a larger journey that uh, India is taking. You know, started with Ada, the new PI, as you talked about account aggregator, etc. And it's not just different tools. This is a different way or a paradigm to solve for financial inclusion in India. A lot of people who are listening to this podcast may not be aware of that entire journey that we have taken. If you can just step back and talk about what that overall big picture is and how that comes together, and then if we could get into Oaken, that'll be much better. Yeah, sure. So, you know, the genesis of all this actually is uh, the UK Sinha Committee Report. Now, that sounds, you know, obviously quite boring to most people. It's a bunch of people <laughs> who come, came together to, to frame how we'll get credit to MSMEs. And this happened, uh, you know, five, seven years ago. So, uh, you know, while it might not seem apparent, you know, because these changes have happened over almost, you know, the better part of a decade, and we just see the end result of it, right, as the, the public at large. But there are three things we had to solve before we could implement OKEN, right? So one of the major challenges is manually verifying in person because anything manual is a cost. So Aadhaar eKYC actually solved for that because you could remotely now and reliably uh, address the KYC uh, as far, you know, uh, it's not completely solved, but it solves a large part of the KYC problem. The second piece is UPI. Um, so, you know, it is cost-free transfer of money between two parties. And this is particularly important because we had this hypothesis of trying to facilitate an intraday loan, which is, you know, sub like about 500 rupees. Uh, and that was like, uh, end goal and to do it in real time and completely paperlessly and presencelessly. Now, the challenge is if, you know, a half percent or one percent is charged each way transferring the money, that is more than the interest cost on the loan, right? So UPI was the next layer that was put in place. The third layer was the account aggregator, which launched in September 2021. And what this facilitates is consent-based data sharing between an FIP, which is usually a bank, uh, and you can share your bank statements to an uh, like a financial information user, which is the bank that you're applying for a loan to. Now, this is consent-based. It's purpose-limited. So, you know, um, there's privacy involved as well. And we'll soon be adding, you know, uh, GST data and other sources of data, like even asset data over the next few years. And this becomes, you know, the foundation because to underwrite you know, for MSMEs particularly, you need three pieces of data. GST data, which is like a proxy for your turnover and your business inflows and outflows. You need bank statement data, which gives you cash flows. And these cash flows are basically an indication of whether that turnover actually materialized into cash. And then the third piece is repayment information, which is sourced from, like if you've taken credit previously and whether you've repaid it and what your current leverage is. And that is sourced from the credit bureaus. So that data layer is very important because if you want to give unsecured credit, uh, because MSMEs have basically been served collateralized credit because people were so uh, risk averse and plus there was no other way to assess um, their credit worthiness and hence uh, collateral was asked for. So what we are saying is the data becomes collateral and your reputation, you know, your, your what you've done in the past enables you to get credit in the future. So those are the three layers that we needed and then finally, one of the major problems was you have, uh, you know, MSMEs now, you know, we've become a digital India where you're transacting on Amazon, on Gem, on Swiggy, Zomato, uh, Ninja Card, wherever. But uh, you're not really, um, like, if you want credit, you have to go elsewhere, right? Uh, you'd have to go to another app or you have to go to your bank or NBFC to raise credit. So the hypothesis here is what can we serve credit to? Uh, to, at the place where the user is transacting, which is, you know, that word embedded credit. And they can like literally just how they check out on payment. You, can you check out with credit uh, very quickly in under 10 minutes, right? So what we developed, and, you know, there's a massive other challenge is that when these loan service providers, these platforms that the users transact, integrated with the lenders or vice versa, there was always bilateral in integrations and there was always customization, which slowed the process down or limited it because some would be willing, some would not. Um, so what we've done is we've standardized that and that's become the open credit enablement network. So uh, what you're basically doing is creating a standard language, standard process that a lender and a LSP can communicate with. And then they have to integrate with this only once and they don't have to do it multiple times. So 
drastically reduces the cost of integration, makes everyone interoperable. And uh, basically, our hypothesis is that it will serve credit to multiple places more quickly than people uh, engaging bilaterally. Brilliant. I want to, in in my words, just sort of summarize three things that you said, uh, each of which I think is very, very important. The first thing that I understood from you is, which is the very, very first principles way of looking at credit. Right? For thousands of years, credit has worked in the following way, which is, do I know you? What is your reputation? How can I give you the money? Right? In, in informal networks, it's people giving cash because they're a social trust. Today, what you're saying is that all of these three can be done digitally. Do I know you? Yes, I know you because of KYC and Aadhaar. Uh, do, what is your reputation, which is really where account aggregator comes, where a financial information provider can, for a particular context, give that information to another financial information user to know that this person's credit worthy. And transfer of the money can also happen digitally with UPI. And the fund, and I'm, again, this is super you know, simplified, but at a fundamental level, these are the three big pieces of credit, which I think over the last 10 years, we've started putting in place, which sort of gives us the environment to be able to move forward. I'm sure you're going to tell us uh, in reality, how there are still chinks, etc., and we'll come to that. But the second thing that you said, which is very, very important, Hrushi, um, and I would like you to uh, you know, build on that, which is this idea that uh, bilateral um, you know, connections have already been made. And you know, just to give you my background, I, I used to work at SAP. And a lot of what we used to do is to say, how can I work with banks? How can I work with uh, you know, people, large companies to create these networks more effectively? But they were all very proprietary networks, our own protocols, our own definitions, and so on. And that the cost of integration is very, very high. Because a lot of times people come and are saying, is Oaken a platform like Amazon? You know, but Oaken's not a platform. It's not a technology. But it's a, you, you use the word protocol in the beginning. Maybe you want to tell us a little bit more about that. If it's not a physical platform, what is it and how does that create an unlock value? No, so it is and isn't uh, a platform, right? So I'll explain what that means. So one is creating the language that the LSP and the lender talks, right? Standardizing that. Mm. The second is the ease of integration and that we are creating what we call an OKEN gateway, which sits in between the LSP and the lender. And it is what the both have to integrate with once, and then they don't need to integrate with anybody else, right? So the protocol is the language, and the platform is the gateway. So it's both. Like, you know, we don't, uh, like, it's not a platform like where people, you know, like an Amazon or a Gem, where it's like, you know, a complete, you can do multiple things. Our role is just to route, lend, you know, applicant requests to the lenders, send back offers, and then the lender takes over once an offer is accepted. So, so there's a distinct difference, uh, you know, in the two, and both are required to make this successful. Because if we just had the protocol, then people would still have to have bilateral uh, integrations, which is what we want to avoid. Absolutely. And when there are 6.4 million, uh, you know, or four crore MSMEs that we're talking about, they are going to be distributed across multiple places. You named some of them in the beginning. There are people, you know, associated with Zomato, with, uh, you know, a Ninja Cart, etc. So finding that common language or protocol is helpful, but at the gateway is actually still the infrastructure that we need to actually transact. There are software service providers that sit in the middle of these LSPs and lenders today. Now, the thing is, uh, they will still have to customize to lenders, to LSPs, to make this real. Now, as a public body, we are able to study this and then uh, sometimes convince, sometimes cajole and, and push people towards the standardization, which maybe private players are not able to do. Say you're trying to build an expressway between two cities, right? Right. Uh, if private players built the, you know, those, those expressways, they would charge a massive premium for people to use it. And that would crowd out some users, right? Who couldn't afford it. Right. And it would reward the deep pocket, basically. But if like the government went and built it and charged a, charged a very, very low toll gate to use it, it suddenly uh, becomes usable by everyone. And that traffic then creates economic activity, right? So it's the thinking is no different than that. It's just that, you know, people think of digital, like uh, infrastructure, something you can touch and feel, but this is digital infrastructure that enables uh, the same outcomes that physical in infrastructure sometimes does. Absolutely. And in, in some sense, this is the rails on which all the trains run, right? But establishing the rails is very, very important. And the third thing that you touched upon, uh, Rishi, which I think is also a very important part, uh, you know, which is the fact that 
Today, there is business happening online, which leaves a digital trail, like a Zomato with the restaurants and Ninja Cart with the providers. That digital trail is extremely helpful for us to build on because you know that this person's actually getting orders, not getting orders, who this person is. Is that something that you're seeing? You talked about Gem as well, which is, of course, the, you know, the marketplace that's set up by the government for B2B procurement. How important are these digital marketplaces to the story of Auken and how are they enabling this entire journey? One of the two main players, right? So one side is lenders, the other side is these LSPs. So if you think about it as an upstream, downstream thing, first the transaction happens, then it is likely to show up on GST, uh, then that transmits into your bank statements. So it's a, like an upstream to downstream flow. Now, what you're doing is if you're if you're able to tap the data upstream, it becomes that much easier for a lender to be able to lend, right? Because see, we call it benchmark data. One is, uh, you know, data to be able to underwrite and the other is benchmark data, which sits with these platforms and what that means. Let's take a food delivery app, right? So they know which restaurants like are in which quartile in terms of business, how many orders they get, who is more heavily trafficked than others, and that sort of thing, right? That information becomes very, very important to a lender because they get a sense of when there's a cash flow crunch, what kind of product to create. So for example, you know, if say restaurants are running out of money by the 10th of a month and that and they need money for 10 days. Um, you know, because on the 10th is typically when restaurants pay their, their staff as an industry practice. So it's a big outflow. So they need maybe 10 days bridge capital till, you know, their business starts, uh, you know, the, 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 till the regular flow of business replenishes their cash flow. So maybe then that's the product you do. And what you can also do is enable daily collections because sometimes, um, you know, cash flows through the platform that is providing the service. So you could actually create like an escrow mechanism. So it actually provides additional safety for the lender. So you're giving safety to the lender to underwrite and you're giving credit like bridge ca capital to the, the say the restaurant to be able to survive till their cash comes in without having to do it at, uh, you know, the, the money lender rates, you're doing it at bank rates, which is a lot more affordable. Then there is disbursement that comes in, but your business need might have changed in the meantime, and then you probably have a very different problem. With Auken, A, we are saying that the product can be big, small, whatever, because it's suited to the needs of the restaurant, number one, and it's built ground up based on what the restaurant actually needs. Two, you don't have to submit a lot of documents, go to a ton of places, ideally, because the data around your behavior is already there with the LSP. Three, the value, uh, the loan can be fairly quickly delivered, and you, you know, to to you, depending on this checks and balances being okay, right? So much more relevant product, much less hassle, faster delivery. Would that be a fair thing to say? See, in this completely manual mode you described, the costs of doing all these things cost anywhere from three to five thousand rupees. What if I wanted a five or ten thousand rupee loan? This would not be possible because when you say restaurant, it's not always like a big franchise or whatever, right? It also mm -hmm. could be your like literally your chaiwala. Now, if he wants like a ten thousand rupee loan, this becomes unviable. Even if he takes his bank statements, now the you know a guy making maybe twenty thousand rupees a month or you know thirty thousand rupees a month will not be filing GST. There will be nothing to file there. But even if he takes his bank statements and goes, the, the, the challenge is the first step is, can I trust these? So other than the mm -hmm. fact that, you know, even the 10,000 rupees is not viable because I have to do so much manual work. The second piece is, can I trust these documents? Because anyone can manufacture them, right? Uh, they need to be verified. They've not come straight from the source. They might be stamped by the bank, but uh, there's some assessment that needs to be done. Now, so there's a fraud risk. Then, you know, it's not viable to give. So there's no interest. So usually, and like, you know, the other thing is when bankers want to hit targets, incentivize behavior, right? I want larger ticket loans. Why should I do these? Like they have to be automated. So, so basically, one is the costs are too high. There's incidents of fraud because it, it's submitted by the user and not directly from the source. And third, if it's not automated, it just, again, it just doesn't make sense to do, right? Now, what Oken does, the only person that is interacting with the technology is the user themselves who are looking for a loan. Everything else happens automatically at the bank's end. So suddenly these become viable to do. I don't have to talk to anyone. I just submit all my documents. The data comes from straight from the source, digitally signed. So there's no real need to worry about fraud. And, um, you know, the dispersals also happen post 
you know, the various steps of setting up repayment, signing the agreement, which is signed by an OTP or e-sign, and then finally disbursing the loan. So, so if it's all automated, you've got the sunk cost of the tech and then uh, the few costs, you know, the low cost of like sourcing the data or whatever other things that you are doing. And uh, it becomes suddenly viable to do, right? So uh, automation is the key. Getting data from trusted sources is the key to be able to making this work. This sounds like a great idea, uh, Rishi. So why don't you give us a sense of where you are today? And it'll be great to break it down on where are you with the lenders? Where are you with the products? And where are you with the actual customers and the distribution? So we started last year. So, you know, 18 months ago, it was still an idea and we were working towards making it real. So it launched in May 2021. And, uh, you know, we started with one lender. There were obviously chinks in the in the tech and we ironed that out. Um now, so, you know, with Gemsahai, which is purchase order financing, we, we have six lenders. So two large banks, um, uh, four NBFCs. We've given about, uh, you know, 10 crores in loans, about 2,500 loans by volume. Uh, so it's about 40,000 rupees in uh, ticket size. Uh, smallest ticket size is 160 rupees, incidentally. Uh, largest ticket size is about five and a half lakhs. And the NPAs are about in three, you know, the three percent range, which is actually not bad at all for this segment. Um, and you know, uh, particularly because it's going through that learning phase currently. We also have eight banks in the pipeline, so you know, we ran the pi- uh, pilot. So we have, we'll have in maybe like four months about fourteen banks, um, and we'll also have, uh, you know, a couple of public sector banks shortly. So, so you know, the you know the first step was to build out the supply side because first the lenders have challenges with tech uh, because you know there is no manual work so everyone has to build the tech to be able to do that. Secondly, uh, the issue is with the credit policy, right? Uh, because this is not a mature product like say retail loans, which has been being done for 15, 20 years. So that has sort of been figured out by lenders, but this needs to be figured out. So they're initially very, very cautious. Uh, sometimes don't give loans for weeks, then they, you know, ease up the credit policy, then a few loans go through, then they see if they come back, then, you know, they slowly ease it out. So this is that learning phase. And, you know, GEM is a, like, you know, a smaller first pilot use case, right? Uh, and even when I say small, it's almost 25 to 30,000 crores of GMV. So, uh, you know, when you're talking at a country level, even a pilot is, is uh, quite large for a country like ours. And you know we've catered to only ten percent of the gem sole proprietor, uh, the, the sole proprietors sitting on the gem platform, and we'll now soon expand that to a larger base because we want to run a pilot to a very small section. Maybe I'll just um, try and make sure that I understood the first one correctly. In in gem Sahai, gem as you know is the I mean as everyone knows is the government e marketplace. When you said invoice financing, what you're saying is that a particular government department places an order to one of the proprietors who's registered himself in the gem platform. And when they make uh, place an order uh, against that order, you are able to provide this person credit to satisfy that order. So uh, the stated challenge on on Gem was that MSMEs are not able to take to take on larger orders because they don't have the liquidity to finance the fulfillment of those orders. So I've actually heard a few of them say, now that this facility is there, I will start accepting larger orders, which is exactly the point, right? Because if we can generate more business for them. Uh, that you know means more economic activity, which means you know the credit has solved. We've solved for what we were trying to do with that credit being dispersed. So it's purchase order. So you're right. It's um, the, the government entity is buying something. Uh, they put out a bid. Uh, these uh, they put out a tender. These guys bid for it. Uh, you know the once the bid is won, then they go and finance the purchase order to be able to fulfill it. And given there is uh, you know a short payer on the other side, the credit risk here is very, very low because you're paying again something that he's assured to pay as soon as the delivery is done. That's right, because, you know, we managed to trap the cash in these cases. The major part of this is delivery risk, actually. You know, we have an escrow mechanism to trap the cash when it's paid. The risk is, will the person deliver? So that is where the gem data helps. In the past, if you've delivered on time in high quality, uh, you haven't had too many rejections. That is actually a signal for the lender to take that, okay, I can fund this guy, whether he's large or small, because they are delivering on time. Absolutely. This goes back to the point of reputation that you made earlier, that the reputation is assured based on past behavior, which which shows a certain level of consistency. Brilliant. Yeah, now you're talking about the second reference implementation. 
Yeah. So the see, the first reference implementation was this purchase order financing. The second mm-hmm. one is invoice financing. And this is particularly e-invoices on the GST platform. See, the challenge is uh, currently the supply chain financing happens from invoices on ERPs or the other version is Treads, which has been quite successful. But even with, with those, so one is ERP invoices, you know, can become fraudulent if people just manufacture data. The other issue, I mean, with Treads, the issue is it's a two-sided, like both guys have to say that the invoice is real, like they accept that the invoice is real. And then uh, credit is disbursed and uh, the the person who's on the hook for payment is the buyer. Mm. In our case, what we are saying is because it's a GST invoice, because you've agreed to pay tax, you might even have taken input credit against it. Like, why would you have done that? You know, like, uh, okay, now you can argue that you'd create a web of companies and try to like do fraud in that way. But like, see, we're not solving for the half percent who will, you know, defraud the system. We're solving for the 99.5% who will, uh, use it well. So so basically, those invoices don't need to be verified because you're paying tax, you know, otherwise you wouldn't file that. And you'll lend against that. So the PO is more upstream, the invoice is more downstream, right? Because you've already delivered the goods. Now you're just waiting uh, for the payment to come. So uh, we finance those. And that is one of the major stated issues, right? Like, I have an invoice, but I never get paid on time. It could be anywhere from two to 10 months before I get paid. So can we provide uh, finance for that. So that's uh, GST Sahai, and that's in testing. It should be any, actually any day now that the first loans go out. And once they do, we have built that in conjunction with SIDB and SIDB is going to be the first uh, lender. And then we'll open that up to other lenders and all those 14 lenders that are on GEM Sahai eventually will come on to GST Sahai as well. And I think the point you're making is, which is very important, is the fact that we are looking at a generational change here. You know, this is not a game that we are playing for one or two years. We are playing this for a period of time, which fundamentally changes the behavior or the, uh, the infrastructure that we have to provide loans for millions of people. And you're right that there is going to be learning along the way. I want to exemplify what you said now, Rishi, because for the people that are listening to this podcast, this particular use case is important, and it sort of leads to the second, next two questions I had for you. So if I am an artisan working in rural India, you know, I make these beautiful carpets, for example, um, and uh, I get low, I mean, I get an order, I have to spend a significant amount of money, but I get paid like 90 days later, uh, which always creates cash flow problems. Uh, My life is going to get better in three ways, if I understand you right. The first way is I get associated with a marketplace that's an online marketplace. And the online marketplace at the time of getting an order, either on my purchase order or on my invoice, is able to give me um, you know, a credit so that I actually have access. In this case, it's a purchase order. I, I'll get access to credit as I'm part of this online marketplace. So A, for a lot of the rural artisans, this becomes a motivation to actually start integrating themselves into existing online marketplaces, B2B, B2C, B2G, etc. The second is I find, um, uh, you know, maybe an existing uh, financier or somebody else who's able to, this, you know, the post-bank model that you talked about, uh, where I'm actually, the, somebody comes in, is an assisted model, I'm getting access to my loan because I have an UPI, uh, I have, uh, uh, you know, my bank statements and I get access to that. And through auto-debit uh, models, money goes out of my window and that then builds credit history for me to take more loans. This is the second way I can sort of get this access. The third way, and I wanted to check this with you, whether this is viable as well, there are existing, uh, you know, NBFCs, microfinance institutions, etc., that are targeting the rural community. We're taking a large feet-on-street model today. Do you see them in either immediately or in the new future moving to digital where their ex, you know the SHGs, for example, and all of those other rural communities that are banking in a you know the microfinance model taking to this approach as well? Let's just take a step back, right? And I'll highlight the concerns of banks and NBFCs, and then I'll address the question sure. uh, that you're asking, right? So NBFCs have a concern that, look, before we could do stuff digitally, banks couldn't. Now you've standardized it and they just have to plug in. How will we compete with their cost of capital? One. Second, banks have a concern that I have this distribution, which I've spent probably millions and billions of dollars on. NBFCs don't. Now you've made them completely digital and they can move faster than I can. Uh, You know, how will I compete? Now, 
like the whole submission is first there's a whole segment out there like we are not only talking about a, the a slice of the existing pie which is a small slice i'm saying there's a whole another cake like as large as retail lending there that is unaddressed mm. so i don't think the concern should be is my a piece of my slice going to get taken away the, the concern should be how do i get a slice of the 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 you know the other pie which is lying there now to answer your question especially if you're in micro loan and you're mm. using feet on street why are interest rates so high because the costs of servicing these are high now if we've digitized everything and you can give the same loans at as low as 12% why would someone pay 24 and 36% annually right so if you don't get on this and look you know people might say you're overly optimistic and i'm obviously like you know could also be called prejudiced because i'm sitting and doing this but the very fact of the matter is if digital reduces the cost if you don't do it you already a dinosaur and and there is going to be this uh, fomo right fear of missing out saying if somebody started it then it, all it needs are a few pioneers and then everybody else is going to follow if one or two large nbfc then we we experienced this to be honest uh, went live started giving loans people didn't expect them to take this leap into this new tech suddenly you you know you have five or seven nbfc saying now we want to participate um incidentally uh, not an hour ago kotak gave its first loan on okay that is huge at like a 12% now where would an msme get a 12% bank loan uh for a 90 like it was a 97000 rupee order that, that is that, that wouldn't have happened in the normal course right so uh, you know this is this is like a huge deal and this will cause now others to want to come and participate because they've just done something which no other bank in the country yet has done So I'm going to just flip the coin now, Rishi, because um, we are talking about Oaken by itself. But um, you know, one of the things you mentioned, which for me is stuck, is we are creating an ecosystem for providing credit to the poor, and we are sort of building the road as we are walking on it. And uh, there are probably parts of this uh, road uh, that is not built yet. You know, where we have some parts we don't. So if I had to ask you, what are some of the challenges? Uh, that you see uh, today, and that needs to be addressed either at a policy level or otherwise, it'll be great to hear that. one of the challenges to drive adoption but it's not such a hard one because people see the logic of doing this so the execution challenges in that context are not that hard what is harder is the credit policy challenge is the first major challenge so what happens is you know uh, this is path dependent thinking um, people are used to doing things in a certain way uh, we are not incentivized to take risk especially in corporate india right um, because suddenly if you have higher npas that is you know not compared to a mature product to to invest in that to make mistakes like mistakes aren't rewarded like startups will reward fail fast innovate but uh, but the larger players won't so one is creating a culture of that and i think what happens is you know the seniority buys in right from the ceo level but what happens is the executioners obviously you know are reticent sometimes about doing this but some of them come around and what you need is one or two to be excited and push it through uh with support from the seniority and then you know the others start participating as it follows through but it sometimes takes months uh to get a credit policy right before you know the first loans go out but again so i actually keep reminding myself that look you're building for 30 years so if it takes 6 months don't worry about it because once those people enter then they'll never leave right so that is another uh, issue and then the final and a big one um and is is like kyc norms right now what has happened is look we have i i think one of the best regulators anywhere in the world but what has also happened is we have all these new digital tools now that are coming to life as we speak right so regulations tend to be static and the market is dynamic and sometimes the separation between them grows so what has happened is and without getting into the nuances of you know what that challenge actually is um look basically if you're trying to do a completely digital uh, kyc then you should have a clearly specified way to do it or like you know sometimes you need multi ministry uh, help to make digital documents available so very simply see aadhar solve for uh, retail like the individual 
uh, now you have to get two additional documents to prove like you know that the entity is linkage to the individual and an activity proof now the challenge is a lot of these documents are not available digitally then that breaks the flow right because one is i can't get it at all secondly i might have to download and then upload it then it's not a smooth just few clicks flow i can't tell you how helpful uh, the government has been in trying to solve these problems but they're not easy problems to solve so while they might take you know a particular amount of time to solve uh, i think once we do solve them um, uh, it will be solved for for you know those 15 20 years to come so so that is a major challenge to unlock credit it's almost like a bottleneck right because um so, you know some banks are very very like walk in 10 feet inside the lines of the regulation so then it's very difficult right then you're limited to who you can lend to and are these documents available so our job is to lay the rails you know say what we think would be the right thing to do and then uh, you know hopefully hopefully we'll be able to get the right tools in place where we maintain the sanctity of the KYC but using the new digital tools that are uh, available let me take a step back here rishi so one you're talking about fraud where i am receiving a loan and i am i'm the person who's committing the fraud yeah let's flip it the other way around i am uh, you know there are there have been recent cases where ecom you know online companies in the pretext of selling a product sign people up for a loan out of which they can't get out of and that is an ecosystem player behavior issue and i'll come to that so credol sure, sure. will solve for that so i'll come to that last uh, you know we talked about fraud then consumer behavior and then let's talk about ecosystem player behavior right got it so so the second piece is consumer behavior now the thing is when it becomes available on tap you also have to uh, provide education in 2015 i had gone on a route walk with arohan in calcutta and when people were being given the first loans before the loans were dispersed they would keep saying lena hai to dena bhi hai lena hai to dena bhi hai because a lot of people you know assume that you're just giving me money i'll take it and i don't really have to pay it back and then that creates all sorts of issues right so i think there will be some education that we will need to do as a collective right uh, whether it's the account aggregators when they are telling people that you're sharing data it's the lenders themselves when they're lending sending educational material you know Uh, and doing that general education maybe we'll take on that role as well at some point where you in conjunction with the rbi say look this is all uh, happening but like you know you are able to get credit easily but remember that you have to pay it back and paying on time makes a big difference to how you can access credit in the future see that takes effort it's not going to happen overnight we saw the same thing at the credit bureaus initially where you know credit was being given and then people were like oh, oh i didn't pay it back and now i'm not getting a loan or my directorship is being affected or you know sometimes even in some cases employment was because employers especially where people are in financially sensitive positions want to make sure people are not indebted or have any reason you know to commit any fraud so so that's a behavioral thing which will take uh, education and time to solve and then the last piece which is you know how people behave in the ecosystem and duping like look we are going to create and that's our role as well is uh, create minimum guidelines right like on how a product should be displayed what information should be displayed how it should even be ordered so we are you know you don't want to make it in a overly bureaucratic where there are too many regulations and then you like choke off any innovation but you want minimum where the consumer at least is being able to make an educated choice so you know if there are people burying it and just you know like i mean i and then suddenly you have a loan which you didn't even want to take you know uh, those like display criteria will i mean those will evolve so we've set some light criteria currently but obviously if you find that it's becoming a problem we'll evolve those as an ecosystem because um, you know the, the thing is we are credol and sahamati all are like formed by public interest people first and then the market is co-opted so hope you know we'll hold on to that ethos as we go down you know the the, the, the timeline as well You have touched upon this idea of credit policy uh, a few times in the conversation today. In UPI, the mandate is that there is no additional charge; it's zero percent charge. You know, you have to sort of um, use it. How are you looking at this entire business of credit uh, on top of um, you know uh, Oaken? What sort of guidelines, rules are you going to put in place? How much is it uh, free will of the market, etc.? Just help us understand that better. So, see, with the lenders, we don't prescribe. you know what the interest rate should be or processing fee should be but what we've already seen is see money is not free so you can't uh, 
and everyone has their own cost of capital so you can't prescribe what they should charge but they'll have to charge what the market accepts so they'll get no business right so what we've already seen is people reducing processing fees almost to the extent in one case where the lender saying i don't want a processing fee anymore because i have no processing costs other than the minor tech setup which i can you know include by adding a few basis points to my interest rate so there we've already seen that change and it's so early right but on the lending side you know uh, other than that like let competition take care of it but i think what your more pertinent question is the lsp side of it like how do they make money right so today uh, you know they are paid a bounty so it's either lead fee conversion fee some combination of it um, but that also inflates the cost of capital for the borrower because see eventually the borrower pays it's like you know okay. uh, not like the lender is going to absorb it or the lsp right because they're making that money so what we have decided to do is like you know uh, to change the agency where we tell the lsp why do you charge the borrower see because these are all pre approved loans you know if you go through the process you will get it so pre disbursal why don't you charge them you know half percent 1% and it's very easy for a loan service provider to test what this fee should be to for maximum three, throughput uh, you can provide it for free like something like i don't want to charge anything because it increases my gmv so why should i charge anything i'll just uh, you know my gmv increases i make enough money anyway uh, and the other thing is we're not prescriptive about what how the you charge you can even say i'll charge you a subscription uh, and you know the loans can then happen you know i'll charge you an annual subscription monthly whatever the case or even loan by loan all we are saying is you know pres- uh, prescriptive about that like how much to charge or how to charge just charge the borrower not the lender so we are hypothesis that will bring down the cost of lending for the borrower when this happens So I want to move to the last part of the conversation that I wanted to have with you which is really this is massive and you said one thing just now you know as you were explaining that this is a set of people who have a, the right intent to be able to solve a problem where they are co-opting market and another stakeholder who has the right intent is philanthropy you know and I recently was in a conversation that I moderated among uh, people from the fintech space and there was a lot of thought on what philanthropy should do or shouldn't do to make this happen because sometimes bad philanthropy can skew the market create subversive incentives and so on In this case, given where we are right now, what is the role that philanthropy can play to push this forward? You know, it's a very good question. So it's you know we have been approached before because we are a non-profit, and typically people expect that you know non-profits need money to survive and that sort of thing. Now, our initial hypothesis is that you know we want to make this self-sustaining by a membership contributions because and these membership contributions will be minuscule you know compared to the business that it'll generate over the years. The other ethos is also we need a self-sustaining ecosystem where everyone is making money and like you know they're nourishing themselves rather than needing like outside oxygen so to speak, right? So I think where philanthropy could help is. actually providing like a time bound credit guarantee or interest subsidy especially for loans that are given off the okn and account aggregator rails because what this will do you know like i was describing i must have said it three times in the conversation that credit policies have to evolve you know corporate india is risk averse it takes time so if we provide them a credit guarantee um, and you know that can be worked out what that looks like it provides air cover so to speak you know for a time bound fashion it can be like one or two years where it gives them time to figure out what the credit model should be and after that it can be taken away right so what you've done is it's actually a low cost way to spur the adoption of these new digital credit rails uh, you know and they may, this may not even come home to roost right in terms of a credit guarantee and on the flip side for a, like a double squeeze is what you could uh, do is provide an interest subsidy to the borrowers themselves now that is a you know clean subsidy where you're just like giving money away but uh, both are equally powerful because then there'll be incentive for people to come and take these loans as well right and uh, you know we could help facilitate this obviously um, but i think that would be very powerful to drive the adoption and let me speed up the process um, of adoption both on the lender and consumer and i want to build on your uh, credit subsidy idea and I'll throw another idea there to see if this resonates with you and you can tell me whether this makes sense on the credit subsidy idea one of the thoughts that you know as as you were talking i was thinking is there is a gender lens to this work you know i mean there is while we assume that the technology does not understand gender there's probably a high chance that men accept these take these loans more than women you know they're part of these value chains and so on if we were to create a gender specific incentive you know which is to say hey if you're a women uh, entrepreneur taking a loan i'm going to give you a credit subsidy 
and encourage women enterprises which automatically then creates women jobs then creates the you know impacts the labor market uh, overall of women participation can we think about models like where these subsidies are actually targeted subsidies that get people who might not otherwise come by themselves uh, you know because of the upper heave of the market um, but need some additional nudging to come in and because there is today a significant philanthropic interest in just getting women to be better entrepreneurs create more jobs for them and create more businesses for them and i was wondering whether that resonates with you or do you think i'm missing something as i'm thinking of it so look i've had this this sort of conversation before um now when we build credit policies right it is never that if it's a man give a lower rate or if, or don't give if it's a woman uh, like you almost never seen that um you might see that for professions uh, but uh, or areas which i mean you know it's debatable whether that should be the case because it should be based on your individual performance and not like a performance of a collective around you but you know um see see the thing is as we're thinking about this uh whilst we understand women have been underserved maybe that's more like a cultural thing uh, but that has also changed so if you look at credit bureau data there are a lot more women in the last decade who ended up taking credit also because there were a lot more women in the workforce so make like like the thing is why in my mind would you penalize someone you know like for their gender and i understand the the concept of wanting to encourage women entrepreneurship but why not offer it to everyone like they all have the same problem of not being able to get credit so if like and there's a different argument of saying okay if i provide subsidies maybe women will do business but then it also gets into that murky area of like the you know a, a man telling his wife that you take the loan in your name because then you know i get it cheaper so i mean those could pan out in any number of ways but like i would like still stick to the you know because at least my experience tells me that gender doesn't matter i would just provide it to all because it's as needed for like men as it is for women because it's not like they are getting credit either you're right that more women are taking loans but we've done the analysis of at least the mudra loans and where women are taking loans they take the smallest unit loans yet right? there's absolutely no graduation that you see of women taking higher loans even among those that are actually taking loans so it'll be good to sort of look at that trend uh, that's number 1 and 2 is i feel like there's a difference in changing the credit policy and to providing a time bound incentive on top of it a subsidy on top of it where the core policy does not change which is a lot more higher in the system but there is a time bound incentive that's provided to encourage behavior uh how it plays out uh, what form it can take uh, you know if we do it like that uh, we don't know and as you rightly said the more we do it the more we learn but it'd be great to see if there are actually you know positive behaviors and deviances that come out of this or as you rightly said unintended consequences because of what we are doing we talked about um, you know improving customer awareness and uh, telling them about what to do you know the line that you said about uh, you know lena hai to dena bhi hai type of a conversation is usually where non-profit organizations that are already working with a set of people have been very effective which is that they have social trust so you know they're able to change behaviors in whatever form but they're also able to do some of this work which is field building work uh, you know which is where philanthropy is funded awareness related work but a lot of their work has also been um, you know uh, critic where it's due uh, in in non scalable you know it's been too people intensive and hence uh, you know there is a lot of awareness but it doesn't really uh, result in a lot of action i wonder if there is a way there are you know where we can marry the two where where the field building awareness work and the community trust and the social capital they have can be combined with the ease with which uh, you know technology enables as acquisition to actually see if at least the initial hurdles of both the behavior awareness and the onboarding can be supported by existing organizations that are working with thousands of such msmes or individuals or who don't have access to credit no no so you're absolutely right and i'll give you why i'm saying this so i tested actually 3 to 400 gemsahai users um as we were testing the app to make sure it was good so it was done virtually but like the sense that you got right is that uh, people were afraid of the tech that how do i use this uh, what does it do you know and have questions about it to the extent that we were actually thinking about instituting some audio visual assistance into the app uh, you know and then you know there's only a certain amount we've done the quantum leap from 2 weeks of no credit to 10 minutes of getting credit so we're like you know leave something for the the private sector to do but you're right because that socialization that i felt that they wanted 
someone to help because basically what we have done is built almost the best in class technology for the bottom of the pyramid and and sadly they're not used to that the more affluent usually you know we'll experiment with technology try it check it out you know uh, curious to find out uh, i think that that the, the the bottom of the pyramid actually is afraid of it so it would be very helpful if mo- people actually walk them through it and talk at at scale right so you know yes we said in the beginning that manual intervention doesn't help but maybe to get the ball rolling and for people to embrace and what happens is once they use it so i started realizing that my telephone number was being circulated on gem support groups on whatsapp group because people if they wanted help they start calling so i realized that you know at the end that that was a mistake but um <laughs> this is what they want to talk to someone right initially once it's figured out it's a self propagating thing because you know they need the credit so then why wouldn't you recommend it to someone else absolutely and i mean i'm sort of taking the lesson from you know a recent project we did where we provided ready to use edtech solutions that are actually designed for people from underprivileged backgrounds gave it for free uh, to about 5000 people the activation rate was 17% you know which is that they spent less than 5 minutes uh, on the tool when we got a non-profit organization just to actually nudge them to use it it moved up to 81% and out of those 81% people started using it for more than 2 hours a week which is actually way more than what we thought kids will use at tech for and what that needed was an initial jump start you know to to actually get them to off the fear of what it takes help them with the interface and then say okay this is your daily behavior and once that uh you know the 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 hop was crossed it was a lot easier for them to then adopt that behavior and make that consistent you know uh and that is with education which is not a fun thing to do for kids and this is credit which is actually very very necessary you know so there is an inbound pull that's much harder everyone wants the credit it's just a question they're not like yeah it's almost like amazing to them that ye ye phone pe milega i don't have to talk to any banker and i'll get choice because they used to being run, run around right uh, or not being you know treated like an affluent person would be and he hurts like what i'll have money in my account in 10 minutes and sometimes it's all, almost like how is that possible right rishi this has been a fascinating conversation for me i think we've covered a lot of ground uh, you know and in my mind i think as i'm and bringing this to a close in my, you know what i'm thinking is really that over the last decade and, and more we've started putting the pieces in place you know the e-commerce companies the online companies are coming in place that are bringing in a lot of indians who might not have been online from delivery boys to restaurants online we have brought in the critical infrastructure the digital infrastructure that we need including how to know somebody is available how to know somebody is credible how to transfer money to people now we are building on top of the rails like this which are okay and which makes possible a more specific conversation on this more foundational infrastructure around credit and if we are able to solve for discussions that we talked about some of which are you know the the policies and uh, the things that have to be in place and the other is trust and behavior change i think this provides us a way to provide just the right amount of capital to the right people for us to spur the economic engine and and you know you're in a great place to be able to see this happen live but it's fascinating to actually uh, you know sort of put this all together to see how it all gets connected so thank you so much for your time uh, rishi this has been great i hope you enjoyed the conversation as as much as i did look you live and breathe this and sometimes the progress is very slow you know especially when you're a private sector guy building a public good things don't you know move as fast as you sometimes want and you know even when you're impatient but like the end result of when it actually happened i mean the feeling is like like your fulfillment is like nothing else right because it's a very high impact work so i'm happy to talk about it and uh, thanks for taking the time to listen You have been listening to Decoding Impact. To learn more about Satva and Satva Knowledge Institute, please explore satva.co.in. We invite you to like, share and subscribe to Decoding Impact so you never miss out on new episodes. Thank you for joining us.